0: The following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Sequel Quest, Episode 118. A sequel to Polly Shore's Biodome.
1: Welcome to Sequel
0: Quest, the podcast where Adam, Jeff, and Jeremy invite you on a cinematic journey to create prequels, sequels, and reboots to your favorite movie franchises. Joined by special guests along the way. Sequel Quest is go for long, so let the adventure begin.
1: No! Nah. Ahoy, sequel questers, and welcome to another episode of the podcast where we create sequels, prequels, and reboots to your favorite films and movie franchises. In preparation for this episode, we decided to get, quote, topical, and cover a film that dealt with the idea of being forcibly contained in a habitat for an extended period of time due to fear of contamination. Films we discussed included Outbreak, World War Z, and even Groundhog's Day, since quarantine effectively feels like living the same day over. An over again. But in the end, we somehow settled on the film we are discussing tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, our sincerest apologies, but it's time to discuss a sequel to 90s environmental idiot comedy film, Biodome. But before we get into the madness, let's meet the men who have agreed to be sealed into the podcast studio until a suitable sequel is created. First up, the man who can't decide if his catchphrase should involve getting squirrely, stubby, or tribal it's jeff (laughs) i am that man next up looking good in his long white scarf and khaki jumpsuit it's jeremy khaki jumpsuit (laughs) and finally reminding you that i can't go to the bathroom i hurt my bladder rollerblading i'm adam Long-time listeners may recall our attempt to create a sequel to Encino Man a while back, which was a very fun show. I'm not so optimistic for this experiment, however. This movie is infamously bad. So, Jeff, why do you hate us? Why are we doing this movie?
2: Me? Is this my idea? Yes! I think I was the one... (laughs) No, I think I was the one that was voting for Outbreak in World War Z. Uh, (laughs) But... I mean, like you mentioned at the top, is is that if we're sticking with our retro theme and if we need to, you know, we want to keep it light, there are very few comedies about quarantine or things like that. This one may qualify as a comedy. I, I, I don't know, but um, it, it it's the funny thing for me, like... I feel like I remember this more fondly. And so maybe some of you are like that out there. So if you haven't seen it in a while, don't. Like, listen to us instead. And then just remember the movie as you seem to have it with rose-colored lenses.
1: And for those who have not seen it and just need a basic understanding of the plot... Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin are idiots named Bud and Doyle who end up going in search of their girlfriends who are upset with them and they stumble upon the biodome in the Arizona desert thinking it's a mall where they can go to the bathroom and they manage to get sealed inside the biodome with five highly trained scientists and hijinks ensue. What's interesting about that movie premise is the story credit actually goes to three different people just for the story not the screenplay but one of them is a guy named adam left who is also the co-writer of last action hero and pcu so jeff loves one of those films and i love the other one (laughs) jeremy is biodome your favorite adam left penned movie (laughs) no oh do I have to choose one?
2: <laughs> one of those three, you got to rank them. <laughs>
1: Ugh, no. Now, the sad part is, is none of these people ever worked on a major film again.
2: Is that sad? <laughs> or I feel like that's justice, my friend. They
1: had such dreams. The director, <laughs> Jason Bloom, is credited with a few episodes of Veronica Mars and I Zombie, but it's safe to say this movie destroyed a lot of careers. Which, by the way, apparently Alec Baldwin told his little brother, Stephen, that this movie would ruin his career. <laughs> he had just come off the critical Darling, The Usual Suspects. Stephen Baldwin was in that. He made this movie and then outside of half-baked pretty much just did low-budget direct-to-video films unless you count taking over for rick moranis playing barney rubble in the live-action flintstones movie sequel viva rock vegas which i actually believe is better than the original with john goodman in my opinion take it or leave it maybe we'll do a third flintstones movie someday But also, this was arguably the last attempt to really promote Polly Shore as a major comedy star. Mm. Because I remember seeing ads in comic books, and I still do when I buy like old back issues. It's like, oh, front cover, you open it up and there's Biodome. Polly Shore is staring at me. But I mean, after this, that was it. I mean, he had a very short lived sitcom on Fox that got canceled. And. He never headlined a movie again until he financed his own mockumentary, Polly Shore is Dead, which is not as funny as he thinks it is.
2: <laughs>
1: and, you know, Polly Shore actually shared the Rousey Award for Worst Actor that year with Tom Arnold. I mean, they couldn't even decide who was the worst.
2: <laughs>
1: but here's the thing Polly Shore and Stephen Baldwin were not the original choices to headline this film. It was actually two up-and-coming comedians at the time, Dana Gould and Harland Williams. Do either of those names ring a bell for you guys? Wow.
2: I'd probably have to see Dana Gould, but Harland Williams, yeah. I never really liked him, but I know him.
1: Oh, You know him from Dumb and Dumber. You shut your mouth if you knew it was good for you, you pumpkin pie haircutted oh, oh, freak.
2: No, I know him from uh, Rocket Man. Yes. rocket name.
1: Well, yeah, and yeah. here's the thing about Rocket Man. I love that movie, and it's basically Biodome right. in Outer Space. It's, <laughs> it's the right. same well, movie.
2: There's nothing unique about Biodome. This movie has been done so many times. <laughs> like, the, the, they get trapped, and they're chaos because they're idiots. Like, it's, yeah, it's been. I mean, Passengers is basically the same movie. <laughs> like, it's the same.
1: Oh, Chris Pratt, so sorry now i'm pretty sure i saw biodome in theaters but it is a film where literally nothing stuck in my mind like i can quote son-in-law verbatim i'm very familiar with encino man i saw in the army now in theaters but there's nothing to say about that movie and jury duty just leave it alone but this movie is just it's a real mess although the other thing if you want to talk about topical in the 90s the biodome was a big deal do you remember that jeff
2: yeah, well, I mean, like it—it it was not only the biodome itself, but just environmentalism that was very topical. Everybody was thinking about that, and and very, very aware of. It yeah, was a Captain new thing.
1: Planet was on the air, mm-hmm. talking about recycling. Was like, what?
2: We can do what with this plastic?
1: Yeah, like do, you remember, a, do you remember going to the supermarket, Jeff, with your bag full of aluminum soda cans yep. and you would feed them into a machine and it, you would hear it crunch them up and then yep. you would get nickels out of the machine or whatever? Or you would get a ticket and take it into the supermarket and they'd give you the money for recycling? Sure i loved doing that i gotta say like there was something so satisfying about that process and that sound so i would collect up all the diet 7-up cans at my house and be like let's go yeah i mean this movie when you talk about okay polly shore Stephen baldwin ah nothing to get excited about but you have william atherton as your villain so to speak i mean truth be told he is not really a bad guy in this film until they drive him crazy I mean, it's it's like his history as a jerk in movies precedes him, but he does his best to include them and bring them onto the team. They're just so terrible that it just doesn't work. But what's funny is he did an interview about his career with the AV Club website, and he would not even comment on Biodome. Yet he Uh. talked about being in a movie called Totally Baked. So what does that tell you? Like, Totally Mm -hmm. Baked is better than Biodome? Were there any other familiar faces for you in this film jeff when you watched it or as you can recall
2: well the big one which i'm sure we'll get to in a second but the the definitely the the owner or like the financier Mm -hmm. he's kind of another and because for me for me i figured he would be the bad guy and he kind of was but then it was kind of like really the bad guy is paulie shore and steven yeah they're the bad guys um But the big one, which I'm sure you know, is this is the first appearance of Tenacious D. Right. And that's what, like, did this spurn their career? I don't know. There's literally, like, I watched (laughs) it today, and there's literally, what, four seconds that they're on screen
1: it it's, very it's not much. quick. yeah when well, i remember seeing it when i rewatched it for the first time in preparation for the show i was like what jack black and kyle what are they doing here you know like if they yeah then they're gone i mean there, there are other very quick cameos as well roger clinton the president's loser brother i mean he was in the news a lot for some reason in the 90s when bill clinton was president and then also the band that was playing at the biodome bash they were called wax and i only know them from appearing on saturday morning cartoons greatest hits and it was an album where they covered you know cartoon songs and it was happy happy joy joy from red and (laughs) that was their song and also patty hearst you know that name from history she was playing their mom or one of their moms the, in that flashback so yeah. that, that was patty hurst being an actress i guess but what about uh joey lauren adams does she ring a bell for you jeff is monique holly's yeah, girlfriend
2: it's kind of one of those like i know i've seen her before but not as anything I don't know. It feels like she's an Adam Sandler one. Is that why I know her?
1: Well, she's actually a Kevin Smith one. Ah, Uh, And she dated him back in the day, like when they were both younger and starting out. But, like, so she starred in Chasing Amy with Ben Affleck it was actually nominated for a golden globe that year but prior to that she had small parts in mall rats another kevin smith movie dazed and confused and conehead so she kind of had a, an interesting mention when Funnier or die did a basically non-comedic interview i mean it was funny but it wasn't like a skit and they basically asked her you know to comment on all the films she had been in and when it got to biodome she's like well i guess i have the distinction of being in the lowest grossest Poly Shore film out there, and they're like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Lower the jury duty? And then they prod up the figures. And Biodome grossed 13 million and Jury Duty managed to gross 17 million. Wow. So that was still when Poly Shore was hot, I guess. <laughs> hot,
2: 17 million. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, in the nineties, you know, consider that. Well, still. But also in a supporting role as one of the scientists is Kylie Minogue, who was a pop star who had a hit in the 80s. She was covering a very famous 60s song, Do the Locomotion. So you might have heard of that oh. on the radio back in the day but i mean apparently she has a much bigger like international pop career but that's the only song of hers i've ever heard but i know her from playing cammy in this live action street fighter movie with jean-claude oh. van damme but according to imdb her dad is still embarrassed <laughs> that she appeared in this film <laughs> But really, for me, the MVP of the movie, because I laughed so little, was Uh Taylor Negron as Russell, Monique's stepdad her mom's boyfriend really? whatever yeah that guy cracks me up because he's a character actor who sh- always shows up as a guy who's basically he's just like he's so over whatever right. is happening right. in the movie and actually when he shows up to deliver the pizza to bud and doyle after they escape the biodome it turns out that's actually a callback to his role in fast times at ridgemont high i believe he's the one who delivers the pizza to spicoli So I think the makers of this film probably thought, we'll make a movie with two Spicolis. (laughs) Anyway. And he actually ended up reuniting with Stephen Baldwin. He was in that Flintstones sequel movie.
2: There you
1: go. But let's get into the film itself, because I think the filmmakers thought they were going for a classic snobs versus slobs movie. Right. Right. But Doyle and Bud are literally the worst human beings on the planet, oh, or yeah. in the biodome. You know, they have no redeeming yep. qualities to make us root for them as underdogs.
2: Because yep. the first thing, like again, is that, and I, to be honest, like as I think about it more, I'm somewhat surprised that this did gross as low as it did. Because I felt like it was very known. It's not like this was like, really? They made a movie called Biodome? Like, no, we all knew that this movie was out. Most of us had seen it. I guess we all waited till it came out on TV was the challenge. Yeah. But like, as I'm rewatching it, it was just like you said, I don't think I laughed one time. Like it, it just, the, the comedy, I'm sure we laughed back then. I'm sure it was, you know, at least like, you know, like a PCU where you're just kind of like, uh-huh, uh, huh uh, uh, all right. And like, it gives you a smile at least, but it just doesn't translate well. So I kept asking myself, or I eventually asked myself, why does this not work? but a movie like Dumb and Dumber, which is very similar, two mm-hmm. idiots that are screwing everything up, why does that work? And for me, like I came up with one is what you said, is that in Dumb and Dumber, Harry and Lloyd are hapless, but good-natured and good-hearted. They're not actually trying to hurt people.
1: Unless they're selling a headless bird to a blind right? kid. Right,
2: that's the one <laughs> Fairly Brothers part that kind of is like, well, does he think that – he's like, it's a blind kid, so he's like, eh, whatever. But either way, but, but Bud and Doyle are so selfish that they don't care about anybody and who they hurt and what damage they do at all. Yeah. Um, plus, I think the dialogue, too. The dialogue in Dumb and Dumber is so witty and so good. And, I mean, if you're going to compare actors, Jim Carrey and, and – uh, Jeff Daniels compared to Stephen Baldwin, man, yeah, it's, it's a whole other league. So.
1: Well, I mean, here's the thing: a Paulie Shore film operates on the premise that he is eccentric, but always to hide some past trauma, and he's really a good-hearted soul beneath his weasel exterior. And <laughs> these characters are just agents of chaos. Like right. you said, they want to destroy, they want to be selfish, and that's all they exist to do. I mean, they're even asked at one point if they have any dreams and make a joke about being reincarnated as a leotard. But they literally have no trajectory in this movie at all. They have no desire, they're not being limited in any way by their circumstance. They don't even wanna get out except to see their girlfriends. But it's like, why are those girls with them at all?
2: And that's always the poly shore thing that seems so great. Like why are these incredibly attractive women interested in him? Like, what? It, it makes no. I am so in love with him. Like, I'm not gonna do. I'm like, give me a break, dude. Polly Shore. It doesn't make any sense.
1: I, like I say, I mean, I think he ha- he could play to a certain extent. like Again, son-in-law proves it, where you actually feel like you're on his side. But it's just in this case, it doesn't work because, like you said, again, they're not Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted believe in being excellent to each other, and they had a goal. They want to pass the test wayne and garth they brought entertainment and levity to everyone in their community and their yep. world and they're being taken advantage of by this new producer even the butabi brothers in a night of the roxbury are stupid but they're trying to open a non-exclusive club for everyone to enjoy not just richard grieco
2: <laughs> night at the roxbury says.
1: But Bud and Doyle fail 100% as a comedic buddy duo. They don't even have any personal conflict in their own relationship to overcome. Like, the girlfriends don't really even think they're losers. Like, they're mad at them, but they're like, oh, those rascals. Yep. And And ultimately, yes, they save the biodome from blowing up after helping to reestablish the homeostasis but that's literally like the last 15 minutes of the film and by then we don't care.
2: Well the two things that drive me crazy is that one I mean Polly Shore is always Poly Shore is that maybe you see a little bit different but he's basically a char- like a, a caricature or a character like his own character. And usually they partner him up. Think about like, like in the army now, or like, you know, any of these movies, they partner him up so that he's the, even in in Encino man, he's the wacky, crazy one. And the other one's the straight man. But in this, Stephen Baldwin is actually dumber and crazier than Pauly Shore. And so Pauly Shore has to be the straight man, but he's not. And so then that, it just doesn't work. And like we said at the top, uh, is that, the reason that the biodome is broken is because they broke it. And they're like, no, 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 guys. We need to stick together and, and fix this. And at the end, they're like, you're our heroes. I'm like, no, they caused the problem. Just because they got you back to zero doesn't mean that they're heroes. uh. uh oh. There's no consequences for what they do. Exactly,
1: yeah, and again, I think they're going back to like, oh, it's like Animal House, you know, you just root for the crazy guys, the anti-establishment guys, but it's like, by this point, and maybe, again, like you said, Jeff, it's our looking back at it now, we're like, okay, this is problematic. I mean, even to the point where, like, one of the first things they do is that they sneak into the sleeping quarters of the female scientists and literally cop a feel while they're sleeping until they wake up and chase them out, like... And back then, in the 90s, I think that was, like, that last moment where they thought, oh, yeah, you can get away with that. Boys will be boys. It's like, no.
2: Yeah, not today. I mean, even then, and that's, again,
1: it didn't work yeah. terribly I mean, It, it well was in the vein day. of, like, Revenge of the Nerds. Like, oh, remember when the True. nerds did that? You know, we all thought that was okay, and now we're like, nope, nope. I mean, they're losers, but they took it too far.
2: Well, and like you said, too, to do the whole anti-establishment thing, you need to have people to, to rebel against. But the scientists aren't mean. They aren't bad. They aren't looking down on them. I mean, there's a little bit of like, what are you guys doing here? But they're not, they don't play that up enough. I don't know if the two girls that they hired to be the hot scientists were good enough actors to necessarily play that. The funny thing is, like you said, uh, what's his name? The main scientist. He's a talented enough actor, and that's his thing. He's usually a jerk. Yeah. He he didn't play a jerk until he went crazy, and then he still wasn't a jerk. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Crazy. William Atherton is, is a class act. I mean, we love him from Ghostbusters and Real Genius and Die Hard, of course, one and two. So, I mean, I did mention there were like two things that made me laugh and i would just say so when they started singing iron man iron man does whatever an iron can and then willie Batherton's like wait, wait wait that's spider-man black sabbath did iron man you know like that like that whole exchange was funny and also like when they're at the table and they don't like the soy whatever that they're having to eat soy protein and then like they start going he's like i'm gonna turn into a supermodel over here oh liked me in high school i don't know i thought that was funny just of the time in the 90s supermodels were all the rage So i mean occasionally they snuck in something in there but the rest of it is fart jokes and them yeah. getting high and them just like stupid stuff where they're just like destroying everything you know and literally hundreds of millions of dollars the only thing i could say about this movie is okay it's got some 90s tropes it has bungee jumping
2: That was bizarre, too. I don't even know. I'm like, how did they get up there and find a bungee rope and what? What's happening?
1: <laughs> so it's it's got a few things here there like that, but even the soundtrack. Sometimes a soundtrack could save a movie back in the day. So yeah. if there was like one hit, and what they were trying to do was turn the safety dance into this right. anti-establishment song, where everybody could be, oh yeah, we're crazy, we're wild, we're dancing to the safety dance. But that did not catch on, as far as I know.
2: Well, I mean, this is before before right? How when? How much sooner? This came out what two years before Dumb and Dumber. Because this is 96, right? Yeah. It's almost the same soundtrack in a lot of those songs. They even have that, like, do ba da ba do da ba do that song. Yeah. Yeah, it worked for Dumb and Dumber, but for this one, yeah. the sound. I, I would agree. The soundtrack was a highlight for me, but not
1: enough. And it almost didn't fit, personally. Yeah, and I, I guess it's one of those movies that, yes, you've said probably played on cable a lot. People might be very familiar with it, so they watched it a lot. But I think objectively, I would love to hear from our listeners, for those who rank this, even in their top poly Shore films. <laughs> you know, which is a very short list, as we discussed. But still, do you really think this is a movie you turn on and you watch with your friends and you get a laugh? Or is it just... It is what it is. A relic of its time. So what I'll mention here, though, is, you know, like I said, there's a lot of people that seem to be ashamed of their participation (laughs) in Biodome. Possibly rightly so. But apparently Stephen Baldwin is proud enough of this movie that up until a couple years ago, he said he and Polly Shore have been developing a sequel to Biodome, and they're just trying to find a studio to produce it. I say good luck, but (laughs) the truth is it does set itself up for a sequel at the very end i mean william atherton runs off so he is gonna blow up the biodome they stop him and then he escapes and they end up going into this energy research facility and that's the end of the movie right they just they repeat their mistake so i think it's our turn to find out can you make a sequel to biodome jeff what do you got
2: all right, well, like you said, they handed it to us on a silver platter, so that's the direction that I'm going to go, is that I'm going to literally pick up the second that the movie leaves off. Although, to be t- to be honest, now that I think about it, I did want initially to bring um, Atherton in as he's running out into the desert, but I forgot to do that. So, anyway, if, if that gets that far, then maybe that's that's an addition for later. So, Bud Doyle and Jen and Monique are driving away from the biodome, when doyle says that he has to go to the bathroom again this is how the movie ends so they end up driving into yes a nuclear power plant looking for a bathroom thinking that it is a factory jen and monique seem to believe that it is not they're slightly more aware of the world than bud and doyle but Bud and Doyle are insistent that, no, 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 this is like, this is, they, they have great bathrooms in factories like this. So Doyle's running around, but he's, he's got to go poop this time, so it's a little more serious. <laughs> so he's going around, and he finally finds this giant building and goes into what looks like a pretty, like, secure door. So he goes in there to go to the bathroom, When he does, as he is doing his business, alarms start going off, the door slams shut, and we find out that he actually went into the reactor room and brought a contaminant in, which resulted in a total nuclear shutdown. So Doyle is trapped in that room. Bud, Jen, and Monique are trying to get him out. Uh, But the other scientists are just looking with horror, saying that no, that door is sealed because there's radiation like if there was anyone inside they're gone now and horrified jen monique and bud especially jen can't leave everyone else is saying no we got to go this whole thing is going to be contaminated we got to get out of here but jen refuses to leave doyle thinking that he'll he could still be okay as they're there one other scientist is trying to convince them no you need to go as all of the doors are sealed so the three of them and this one angry scientist are stuck in there and the scientist uh, reveals that the amount of radiation that was released by a total shutdown takes two months to dissipate so they are going to be stuck in this office area control room area for two months So the beginning, we do kind of a montage with similar shenanigans to the last Biodome, but this time it's in a very controlled space. So I'm picturing more along the lines of like, I mean, making forts out of various things and taking like printer paper and making different outfits. So they do like fashion shows and all this sort of shenanigans and stuff like that. And then after that montage, the scientist is obviously not buying into it, So then after this has been going on for a few weeks, they discover that, or at least the scientist, has been studying the numbers and discovers that a leak still is present and that the rapid nature of how it got shut down is going to make the reactor go critical in three days. And so he comes up with this list of ridiculous things, of course, that are scientifically quote unquote based that people would need to do in order to stop this. And so obviously they have to put on all of these ridiculous suits and there's not enough. So we got to get two in this suit and one in that suit and only my arms. And then it's going to be too hot. So then we got to be in my underwear and like all these crazy things that they need to do somewhat seriously because they have to fix all of these problems in order to get, the reactor to not go critical. So exactly what all of those are, I don't know, that would kind of be the, the main thrust of this movie, that there would be kind of like a progression of challenges that they would go through. So finally we get to the end, they have one last challenge and then they realize that like their suit tears so they're not able to cross like into this other area that they needed to go in. So the last thing that they needed to do, they're not gonna be able to do. And they're running out of time. They watch the timer and it ticks from five, four, three, two, one, zero and then nothing happens. They're bracing for the explosion, but nothing happens. The time comes, the time goes, and all of a sudden, the reactor door opens mysteriously, and a suited figure comes out, takes off his mask, and sure enough, it's Doyle, who has been inside the reactor this entire time, I, I don't know, sunburnt or you know, whatever. Has, explaining how he somehow survived, but by some sort of gross poop joke or something like that, he somehow saved the day and stopped this reactor from 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 going critical. And then you know, the doors are opened and the radiation dissipates so that everybody can go on their way. As credits,
1: <laughs> can you just say poop again? Yes, poop. There's <laughs> lots of poop jokes. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. So, yeah, well, uh, I will say that I also decided to initially pick up where the film left off, but then I go in a different direction because I'm bringing you Biodome 2 Beyond Biodome. After stopping for a bathroom break at the ComTech Energy facility as seen at the end of the first film, Bud, Doyle, Jen, and Monique were exposed to toxic gas venting from one of the vats and quarantined in a secret bunker beneath the polluting cooling towers for 24 years to keep the corporation's eco-poisoning practices under wraps. During this time, the couples were given any food and VHS tapes they needed to sustain themselves by a kindly janitor named Gregory. Each couple gave birth to a child and raised their kids underground in their own stupid way. As a result, the 90s never ended as far as they were concerned. Bud's son is named Bill, and Doyle's son is Clinton when gregory dies it forces them to emerge from their bunker in search of food only to find that the Comtech facility had shut down years prior as they re-enter society it is clear that the 21st century is a very different world than the one they were pulled from in 1996 the wives win a week-long spa vacation when they call into a radio station contest since no one listens to terrestrial radio anymore and there was no competition Mm -hmm. they task their husbands with finding jobs for the first time Time in their lives and getting their sons enrolled in college while they are away. Bud and Doyle decide to make use of the telephone and television repair correspondence courses they once signed up for while watching reruns of I Love Lucy on daytime TV by applying for jobs at a communications company, only to find that no one has landlines or tube televisions anymore. Desperate, they lie about their qualifications and end up working in customer service, where they confuse Wi-Fi with the term Wi-Fi, meaning whippets, and end up instructing old ladies trying to log on to The Page how to get high on nitrous oxide from whipped cream cans when another guy calls in about setting up a t1 line for his business they berate this bonehead for liking the original schwarzenegger film and list the reasons why t2 was way better meanwhile hijinks ensue at the junior college enrollment office as bill and clinton claim to have attended sesame street elementary and graduated from bayside high school Luckily, running the enrollment office is Monique's mom's jerky boyfriend, Russell, who really doesn't care because class attendance is low anyway and awards them what he calls the Beavis and Butthead Scholarship to pay for their first semester. Their first class is intro to feminism and their 90s dude diatribe on babes and thongs versus chicks with implants does not go over well. Russell encourages the boys to try out for the pathetic junior college football team and it turns out they are superhumanly fast and strong. Their parents' exposure to toxic gas for which they were quarantined passed along these abilities to their children. Apparently, being in a contained environment had prevented these powers from manifesting for 24 years of their life, but exposure to sunlight has activated the mutant genes. The only downside? They actually pass toxic gas through their bodies. Now, not only are college football football talent scouts and endorsement representatives from bladder buster soda showing up to games but secret agents from the epa and fbi could bud and doyle protect their sons from becoming government guinea pigs by taking them on the run in a father-son road trip comedy adventure find out in biodome 2 beyond biodome yep jeremy what do you got
0: all righty here we go it's 2025 and NASA is deep in preparation and planning for a prolonged space habitation and has thus turned to the private market to enhance competition and innovation for off-world colonization. The 9596 trial was a rough and crude attempt, so massive and unrealistic for off-world construction, so it's time to get realistic with space exploration colonization in finding a stable home base. Private bids have been dwindled down to Amazon's Blue Origin and Elon Musk's SpaceX competing for the contract. So NASA concocts a contest where they both develop, plan, and construct their own space bases in the unforgiving Arizona desert. And NASA will provide the scientists who must survive a year within them. Unusual as it may be, NASA has brought in and consulted with Bud McIntosh in prep for the contest and he is there at the unveiling bud has taken on a more serious tone in saving the environment and working more serious jobs after doyle's unfortunate passing via overdose a handful of years (laughs) after their experience inside the dome exploratory scenes ensue and bud is marveling at the creation's of both teams cracking jokes as they explore two days later is the publicly televised lockdown of both bases as the contest begins imagine it being big brother house on scientific steroids one crew member falls terribly ill and is unable to enter so as not to contaminate the rest of the crew and handicap that specific team no replacement was on hand as they were not anticipating the scenario At this moment, Bud volunteers wishing to join the crew in Doyle's memory and fill the vacancy on SpaceX's team. A few days into the experiment... Blue Origins team finds a stoner stowaway of their own in their base, creating an interesting balance on both teams, now having to deal with unanticipated changes that they must adapt to in order to show that their base is better equipped for unpredictable circumstances. And, of course, Bud has brought in his own indica and sativa seeds and begins growing his own special garden to help him survive the year and help these stuck-up scientists get a little less stuffy and that's about as far as i got i i didn't know if i wanted to pick a winner
1: bad <laughs> oh, bringing polly shore back to a solo adventure right? steve with you are out of it yeah we're killing them off left and right huh <laughs> right it's time to take a break and tell you about the cult film club podcast it's the monthly show where sean jamie and pax meet to discuss the weird and obscure films they love to death it's like getting together with your movie loved friends to share stories and trivia about your favorite childhood video rentals. Past episodes have covered such cult films as The Crush, Troll 2, Miami Connection, The Beastmaster, Young Sherlock Holmes, and Streets of Fire. And coming this month in June, the CFC crew is getting behind the wheel to talk about a couple of quarries in License to Drive. Find the Cult Film Club on any of your favorite podcast services, on social media at Pod or at cultfilmclub.com. And now, back to the show. All righty, well, Jeff, where does your
0: vote fall?
2: I don't know. The, well, once you said superheroes at the end, I mean, I know what you were <laughs> meaning, but like, to be honest, like, I kind of like the idea of yours, Jeremy, because it did feel more... Biodome? i mean i know yours adam was beyond biodome so that <laughs> yes. works but
1: that's what i promised <laughs> you did
2: you did and that and you delivered so <laughs> but i i don't know i kind of like especially the two teams competing each other i kind of like that and and i'm interested to see who we can find for this second stoner character so i'm gonna go
0: with jeremy's
1: all right. Adam? Yeah, so, Jeff, yours definitely seems like the logical next step, right? I mean, that's absolutely what it would be. Let's just repeat the original film in the new setting they gave us, and poop jokes. But <laughs> I do love the idea of, yep, Stephen Baldwin's dead, and is there somebody stupider on the other team than Polly Shore? I mean, there there's so much to mine from that, so I gotta vote for Jeremy, too.
0: Well, awesome. Then Thank my vote is wow. irrelevant... And we'll You're just go with
1: that. Now I feel like uh, the cause of death for Doyle needs to be different than an overdose because that's too heavy. It's got to be very yeah, stupid. it's got to
2: be dumb.
0: So maybe. What if he's just like, in prison? Does he have to be dead? I was gonna have him fall off the edge of the Grand Canyon, but okay. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I mean, you could do that too. Because I'm thinking, like, they break into this this electrical or this whatever this. Like he could still be in prison for breaking into a nuclear power
1: plant. And Bud is such a terrible friend that he let him take the rap, <laughs> and Doyle doesn't care. So, so they keep cutting back to Doyle in prison and all the terrible things that are happening to him. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, because otherwise, I was going to say that that he got some sort of, uh, you know, his bladder erupted and he actually died, you know, like from that. Because they're always talking about Ooh, the bladder buster that's soda. That's dark too. Well, but that's always his issue, and you know, like he just but, like he couldn't. Yeah, Hold it anymore. It was the last bladder buster.
2: Or he gets married and then he's, you know, oh, I'm not up for these shenanigans. He's, got a, he's a banker.
0: You know He gets a real
1: job. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think having him in prison and just continuing with how terrible Bud is, I think that works out really well.
0: <laughs> or Or maybe he's just disappeared. He's run off and has been a missing person. That way... Bud can still have his. I'm doing this for Doyle. And maybe we find out that Doyle's been alive
1: the whole time at the end of the movie. With William Atherton. Like that they've been out in the wilderness together. They've been (laughs) building a new society. They've been
0: underground preppers off in the wilderness.
1: Oh, wow. Here's the question then. So with Polly Shore, quote, maturing, so Bud is there sort of taking the environment more seriously? I assume he's doing it in an idiotic way. Like well, he's of got, course. He's got to have a platform that doesn't make sense. He has his quirks. I mean, it, it almost has to be, like, something weird where, like, because yeah, they talked about, like, you know, we have to create the beer can effect and whatever. So it feels like it would be based around those things. Like, he's like, yeah, we got to start building homes out of beer cans, man. Something along those lines where you're recycling and you're building a home out of recycled materials, but it keeps going terribly wrong. We just haven't hit on the right one yet. But Okay. Maybe, maybe it's uh, uh, hemp will save the world or something. There it is. Yep. Purple sticky punch. (laughs) (laughs) So, the idea is that whoever is proving they have the most sustainable system in place for their structure is the one who will be chosen for the contract to build Offworld. Now, to Jeff's question, who do we feel is a suitable foil for Polly Shore? I mean, the obvious idea is somehow getting Brendan Fraser in there. Whether he's Link again or
2: Well we're setting this today and we're filming it today, right? So this is yeah.
0: set yeah, twenty twenty five basically. Fifty
1: two year old Polly Shore. Brendan <laughs> Fraser is available.
0: Yeah, he is <laughs> And he's of similar
2: age I think, right?
1: Yeah, but although I was I was trying to think of, yeah, who was another star of comedies of that era who was almost on the same level as Paulie Shore, where it would be just like, "Oh, that guy, of course."
2: See, I was thinking instead of going that direction, instead have who's today's Paulie Shore. And that's the the dynamic.
1: Yeah, then that that gives us a whole new set of circumstances to consider. It's kind of like who keeps getting movies and you can't understand why why do we keep watching this guy's films
2: tyler perry (laughs) he makes his own movies he is
1: an auteur jeff yeah oh you know who it is i mean i know who it is obviously and he is a man who had his moment of douchey stand-up comedy (laughs) and everybody loved him Uh for his moment in the spotlight Uh and that man is dane cook Dane Cook Dane and Polly Cook. Shore in the same movie. Do you know Dane Cook?
2: I do. He's he's not around a whole lot anymore, is he? That's
1: the point. Mm. I mean, like he's of the same Poly Shore stature of like one generation back. Because yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know yeah. these kids huh? today. With who's that super pale guy from Saturday Night Live that everybody seems to love? Oh no, not Pete Davidson. Yeah, Pete Davidson. I hate that guy. And I don't even know him. I just <laughs> hate him. I look at him. I'm like, this guy. No. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that could work but i feel like dane cook's style he's more of like a raunchy sort of i don't know it's a different well, well, dane it's not cook
1: a is the poor man's style. ryan reynolds like dane cook wishes he had ryan reynolds uh, career
2: yeah the movie dane cook yes the stand-up comedy dane cook no i mean it's maybe it's closer to like bob saget or something like that
1: yeah they're very different people i think
2: But, I mean, people mostly know the movie version, so.
1: Right. I mean, Employee of the Month, I stand by as a really good movie, but mostly because his nemesis in that movie is so great. Not because he himself is an enjoyable actor, nor is Jessica Simpson a good leading lady or love interest in a film. The only other element of that is that Dane Cook is not known as a pothead. You know, he's not known as a stoner. So and is there a character who is, you know, maybe the poster child for that lifestyle that maybe fits better or who is, you know, more open about it? Well, I mean Seth Rogen would be your choice. He's too big though. <laughs> I mean, unless it was a Seth rogen written film, I mean, if he's writing and producing it, then maybe Biodome 2 has a chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe he and Polly like just end up hanging out together. They're like, "Oh, he gets a bad rap." <laughs> they Gotta do my do Seth Rogen laugh they do disaster artist with it Ooh, no there you go right there you know who's big but he does weird movies and obviously pineapple express yeah get james franco in there james franco would do it because he thinks he's a weird character actor not a pretty boy he he's got the johnny depp syndrome (laughs)
2: so wait so so he's the stoner that joins the other team yeah oh yeah that actually does he he does stoner all the time that's like his thing
1: right and his eyes are always half shut anyways So, yeah, I think okay. James Franco is our guy.
2: That would be fun. Okay. Yeah.
1: So, but then the premise is, is it more, would you say, Jeremy, like kind of it's sabotage, essentially? It's like, it's kind of like a frat house deal. It, it is Animal House where you kind of got people going against each other.
0: Um, I don't know if we would go that far, but it would be, there would be some back and forth, like the two communities can kind of taunt each other back and forth. I mean, they're isolated from all the news and whatnot
1: yeah because that because that's i'm trying to think like how do we heat up the competition and make it funny the weird thing is yeah like if you have you know kind of the slacker stoner guys on each side i think what it is is paulie shore is not as much of a weirdo and a loser as he was in the last movie but now james franco is somehow like he is loosening up his crew to where they're accomplishing more and they are the ones getting all like the social media attention because they are part being in the biodome or something <laughs> you know what I'm saying like in their structure they're making space travel seem cool and space habitats and all that stuff whereas like Polly Shore has kind of lost his mojo and maybe he has to get it back and it is a battle of the social media presences because it really is more of a marketing thing than a science and technology proving yourself type of thing
2: that makes sense to me
1: but I, I'm just trying to think of, like, any type of pranks that they would play on each other or something of that nature, you know? Because I, I feel like you have to do something with their oxygen supply. So, you know, you, you get somebody with, like, really stinky feet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Like there's some sort of germ culture that they're growing and it's a fungus that they've spread it on the floor somewhere, in their shower, that they all get a foot fungus. Yeah, but it's like really exaggerated. Something strange like that. Geek humor, you know?
0: Well, that's more like Animal House or they're both isolated from each other. So in order to sneak out, you would be breaking the competition. It would be having the wild card on both teams Uh and having to deal with that like you were saying that paulie doesn't have the mojo that he did
1: maybe the joke is if the issue is you're not supposed to leave maybe they are tempting each other and trying to lure different members of the team out from their respective structures by putting different things on the outside that were like super enticing you know so like maybe there is a guy on you know james franco's team that's a real horn dog you know so then, Polly Shore gets a bunch of bikini babes out front. You know, Like weird things like that, that are, you know, again, low brow. There'd probably be like some social media pranks turning certain guys on the team into memes. I got to go over there and fight them, try to draw them out that way. Again, like, because that, that's, I'm trying to find like the main conflict. Right. A conflict between the two
2: well i wonder i mean because you could like if you want like you're saying jeremy if they're isolated in separate areas so they can't interact with each other physically to have either that they figure out how to communicate with each other like electronically or whatever or that's a part of it uh, i don't know why they would necessarily do that but another option could be that in like, let's say in Polly Shore's group, the James Franco group has put a spy in his group or something like that so that he's secretly in contact with the James Franco team. And that gives us a little level of conflict inside the dome.
1: Yeah, and so, like, that that could work, you know, just, again, to spice it up a little bit, but I, what I think we have to do with that is that, again, if Doyle is in prison, I think in all his shenanigans that he's getting up to there, he finally gets pulled into an escape attempt. You know, there's an escape attempt by another convict, whether it's his cellmate or somebody else that just wants him to come along and he's so dumb he agrees to it so they're like tunneling out and he's a real good digger you know maybe that's why <laughs> like i could do this da, 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 da. and he's showing how he digs and then maybe they end up digging their way out to Polly shore's structure just by accident but he also catches the secret tunnel where the spy is going back and forth mm. and so maybe there's something in that realm where it's like oh doyle's back now they're reunited and he's helping save the day and then yeah it's that ultimately they have to like fill the other guy's structure with soap bubbles or like some big foam and it blows it apart you know like there has to be some huge thing at the very end like real genius with the popcorn you know like it's just got to be a big like gotcha yeah. type moment i feel like so yeah that would be
2: interesting to have because my my thought was and then and maybe it could be both is that my thought was if we are playing that like bud is has lost it and the Polyshore is not the tricker that he used to be is that if we allow them to, like, make phone calls or something like that, is that maybe he calls Doyle in prison for advice about how to help with that. And then, yeah, I kind of... It would be interesting if there is kind of, like, dueling underground tunnel things going on. Like, that that could be an interesting sort of, like, somehow Doyle escapes and then Doyle is going through the tunnel... In one direction to sabotage this, and then the, the mole is going in the other direction to sabotage this, and like that could be uh, uh, an is interesting Is Fred dynamic.
1: Savage going to reprise his role as the mole from Austin Powers? Oh,
2: see? Oh, I don't want to go
1: that <laughs> right.
2: Well, because that's the other part, too, that's kind of tough. That's like, you know, especially for me being the purist that I am, do we try and honor the sense of humor that they went for? When they failed so horribly where it's like, Well, they would want poop humor and they would want, you know, like this and that and the whatever but that was so bad. Like
1: Well yeah, I I I think you do it you know to the extent that it works yeah and just do it better but not so overtly and so callously you know because that's what it is it's like it's a real caustic type of humor they're going for when you could do a funny poop joke but you know you you get you got to plan it well set it up but i also realizing too the other element of this is that polly shore has to not have married monique or maybe they got divorced and that's what led him to get so serious because he's trying to prove himself To her, maybe, but she's over it. And so he has to have some love interest on this team, where he's not actually connected to anybody. He thinks he's interested in Monique, but he actually ends up forging a relationship with this woman and enjoys her company and they become friends. So we see the good side of Bud finally, on you know, on some level, where he's grown in this respect, and yeah, he's not the party animal he was. But she brings out, in addition to Doyle's influence, she brings out the happiness. In him again that lets him kind of be carefree and mm. let his best ideas emerge okay
2: that makes
1: sense yeah but i i just like i said i think ultimately we have to have the finale and it has to be that james franco uh, let's say he has an aversion to something you know either he's allergic or he just really hates it's, you know whatever it is what is it gonna be that they do to gross him out at the end and right more?
2: Well, and I wonder, because I know, Jeremy, your original pitch was that Paulie Shore joins this team as the one person had to drop out, and he was like an advisor, so he comes in to fill in. Uh, and then meanwhile, the other team has like a stowaway, kind of like in that first one. So that would be the, the James Franco role. A- another option that I was thinking about, like what if we make, because I think you said that the, the the two rival groups is that one of them was like Amazon and one of them or something like that. You could have the James Franco character be like an Elon Musk, where he's like an eccentric billionaire. That seems very James Franco-y too. Uh, and then that could give you some level, like that's maybe his flaw that they want to exploit and like something about like his money or his greediness or his whatever. There's something that's got to make him unlikable.
1: Maybe what it is is yeah he has all the money but his ideas are always really crazy stupid you know and he's just like like he's trying to convince everybody that he's a genius and he is a futurist and he sees what they don't but you're like no you're just a lunatic. You know. <laughs> he's like we simply must start consuming Owl meat. It is the most nutritious. Studies have shown, you know, and so he starts breeding owls. Just something weird like that. Right. But then he's got to, again, be a jerk or be just like. Well, he eats owls, Jeff. Everybody loves owls. They do? Since Uh. uh, Harry Potter, people love owls. For what I understand. But
2: you understand,
1: okay. <laughs> I'm not a potterist. I'm sure that's what they call Potter. themselves. <laughs> All you potterists out there and your owls, I've uh, got your number. Uh, uh. <laughs> and then, yes, and so, um, I, I mean, I think i mean what more can we do with this movie james franco eccentric crazy millionaire yes very good
2: we still need like you said that climax i feel like it needs to be whatever it is that we hate about james franco that's what does him in right and that's exposed because otherwise if it's like hey we hate you so we're gonna do something mean to you Again, now we're the bad guys. And we don't want Pauly Shore to be a bad guy again. We want James Franco to be the bad guy. So to do something where, like, yeah, something backfires or, like, maybe if we do the whole tunnel thing, like, maybe the tunnel – His plan is to fill the tunnel with something, like to flood it or something like that. Well, like, my thought
1: was like, what, I mean, maybe it's not such like a revelation of any sort, but what if he created, he made his billions off a very addictive... Type of food or something or soda or whatever, and everybody's addicted to it. He gets all this money, and then ultimately they flood the place with his soda, you know. And, and, and so it's kind of like the sweet revenge, you know, that he is getting flushed out by his own creation or something like that.
2: Now, are we saying that they're designing their own dome, or did someone else design it for them and they just need to survive? It?
0: The original idea was that the domes were constructed in competition the scientists that fill them would all be nasa chosen Ah. basically putting the bases through the rigors seeing if it it would function in the desert for a year type thing and i'm sure there would be some incidents happen where Hmm. the hospitality stuff breaks life sustaining or life support breaks and they have to fix it all managing what they have on hand type thing. And much like we saw in Biodome where basically the the stoners got into the the medicine room and just annihilated it. Right. So all of the supplies were gone. I'm assuming there would be some hijinks of the sort where they would break things and then have to fix it.
2: Would it be too o- overdone to have the other team be overly automated where everything runs on machines and then poly shore's team is more kind of that earthy environmental thing like the first biodome and so then that could be what breaks down and makes them lose in the end
1: and it's a polymer that is made from hemp and that's why poly shore was involved that like the structure itself is built includes hemp and something along those lines but yeah so it is a little bit more hippy dippy but jeff i was just thinking too for james franco's character what if it is again he's the stowaway maybe he wanted to be part of the project nobody wanted him to be involved but he's the one taking all the supplies for himself just from the perspective of he's like well i'm the most important person here you know and he builds himself like a luxury suite and he has all the supplies that nobody else gets him you know so we just see him being extra selfish
0: right with him i would also say since there would be an imbalance with him having bought his way on maybe maybe when bud has to fill in they take a scientist off the other team and auction it off to whomever wants to get in and that's how he gets in so they're both down a man to start the mission and they have to just adapt to whatever this other person
1: is that joins them and whoever is, like, the deciding person over at NASA is like, there will be unforeseen circumstances, yes. therefore this is the optimal experience for you to go through. But Jeremy, we're still stuck on what should that final moment of humiliation be for the team that loses for the non-Poly Shore side? You know, I don't know. I mean, is their structure just going to explode? Is it? Is it going to maybe fly into space itself, like they equipped oh, it with some sort of rockets so that it could move across the surface and it gets supercharged and it launches, you know, into the atmosphere. I don't know, something random like that.
2: I'm telling you, it should become self-aware. And it
1: says, so, I want to live so... <laughs> And it transforms. how 9000 or <laughs> <laughs> whatever and tries it to is. take it over.
2: And it is, I'm so self-sufficient that I don't need you humans anymore.
1: Oh, I like that idea. Yeah, but it should. It should literally convert itself into a rocket and fly into space. It just leaves them all the dust. It's like, well, congratulations, you won, but it's gone. (laughs) Biodome 2, I think it's just, it is hard to salvage this concept. Well, folks, we're going to leave this one to you. Should we take this idea? Can we recycle the Biodome concept? Is our version of Biodome 2 sustainable? Can Uh, can we sustain uh, the laughter through a a 90-minute runtime? (laughs) but we thank you all for joining us uh yes the sequel quest experience nothing like it we hope you have enjoyed our conversation and you know what we haven't made this invitation in a while but just an open call out to the listeners if you guys are interested if you have an idea for a sequel or a prequel or a way to reboot a franchise that you loved and lost its way reach out to us on social media let us know we are always open to suggestions we love what we come up with but you may have something even cooler so if you want to reach out to us you can find us on social media at sqpod if you want to go the old school route sequelquestpod at gmail.com and i will tell you the competition is not fierce (laughs) so if you have (laughs) an idea and a microphone why not join us so until next time tribal
0: We thank you for listening to this episode of Sequel Quest and invite you to continue the fake movie fun on social media. Submit your ideas for future episodes to SequelQuestPod at gmail.com
1: or SQPod on Twitter. The films and characters discussed on Sequel Quest are the property of their respective studios and license holders. No copyright infringement is intended.
0: This has been a presentation of The
2: Retro Network.